Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. Two times you don't want to play the Ravens. It's pre-season and Christmas Eve, apparently, as the Ravens remain undefeated. Welcome back to a slightly later than usual UK Ravens podcast. My name is Gaz Paul and I am joined by my friends who I met on the internet, Ian, Debane and Shane Richmond. Um, I'm full of flu. I'm not sure if that's coming through the mic, but I can feel it in my head and in my ears. So if I sound a bit weird, I am full of flu, but we've um, struggled to get us th- more than two of us together this week to get something out here, but we want to try and get something out in between Christmas and New Year. So... We're going to have a, a quick recap of the Falcons game, um, talk about some player things, and look ahead to odds. The Steelers game. Shane, how has your Christmas been? Have you had a nice time? I have, thank you. Yeah, it's been very good. Uh, and I have, I've managed to escape major viruses, so that's also good. Not, not me, not me. Ian, how about you? Yeah, so you're, you're struck down with the flu. My, my wife tested positive for COVID just before Christmas. So, um, so we've been just the two of us at home, which we always planned to do, but it's been slightly quieter than than it should have been. And yeah, I've spent spent a few too many hours on my own this Christmas. And Shane, I believe you've got the the in laws locked in the house with you. Well, not locked in the house with you, but in the house with you. So uh, we can only hope that our listeners have had better Christmases than us combined. <laughs> yeah, it's my mother in law and my wife's aunt, which means we need two bedrooms for guests, which has made the house kind of. More full than expected. <laughs> so, um, this game on Christmas Eve, then, uh, just just to get, I, I've watched the game in forty back. I'd Christmas Eve is I, I love Christmas. I love New Year's. I, I like to go out for beer. I like seeing friends. And when I saw the Ravens were playing on Christmas Eve, I was like, "This is perfect." Six o'clock kickoff. I'm going to be in the pub with my friends. Nice crisp cold pint of Guinness um, watching the Ravens it never dawned on me for a second that Sky wouldn't pick Ravens Falcons to be their game of the week that we're going to show on Sky it only dawned on me at about 5-6 to six that well obviously it's not going to be Ravens Falcons is it? that's probably the worst match of the week so um, I watched Red Zone and Ian we'll, we'll, we'll get into this I, I didn't see much of the Ravens come up on the Red Zone how, how was the game to, to sit and watch? <sighs> It was it was a weird one because I kind of think the Ravens played okay in patches, um, and I think if you go back and look at all our predictions last week, we were all nearly spot on with this game. It's the closest one we've we've probably ever had. I think I was out by a point, Shane by one or two points, and, and James was pretty close as well. So it, it all went the way we expected it to go, but it was it was a really hard watch. The last. The last month of Ravens football has been has been a pretty hard watch, and this was this was no different. Shane, the Ravens win on the back of the ground game and the defense. This is a, an old school Ravens team, and this is is really challenging um, the perception people have of. I really like hard nosed defensive football. Yeah, it's true. I think this is kind of what football would have been like if you were watching in the sixties or the early seventies, and. A generation of people who've been playing Madden and putting up like, you know, 49, 47 wins are finding this quite hard going. There's an amazing drive where the Ravens ran 11 straight times and it was really exciting to watch because (laughs) it was just, you know what's coming. You just don't know if you can stop us. And they couldn't like play after play after play. They were pushing it down the field. And I agree with you. And I think they actually played pretty well. I think 
Tyler Huntley looked like the weak point, but you expect that from a backup quarterback. I think if you dropped Lamar into that game, they would have turned the field goals into touchdowns and it would have been a very comfortable win for them. So they they weren't as painful to watch as they've been in previous weeks, but this is not modern NFL football. I think a lot of people are finding it pretty hard. You, you, you mentioned Tyler Hunter there. I mean, he's, he's going to, assuming that the, well, we've got, we're going to have him starting for another week, but so far he's gone two of three games started. That's quite good to expect from your backup quarterback. You also really should credit the Denver game to Tyler Huntley as well. Lamar Jackson started and was out of the game in the first quarter. So that's that's three or four from your backup. Ian, you can't really expect much more from Tyler Huntley, can you? No, I, th- I think you can you can call him three and one. I'd, I'd give him the Denver game. He played the majority of that. Um, we, we spoke about it last week. You're not expecting him to put up loads of points, but um, what, what you do want to see is that he's taking care of the ball, that he's making the right decisions, he's, he's not turning it over, and, and he's giving himself and the team a chance to win, which which he's pretty much done. Um, I had a couple of couple of gripes this game. I thought Greg Roman had a sort of B-plus type game where he, he moved the ball well, but then he got into the red zone, and for some reason he just wouldn't give the ball to J.K. or Gus. I think it took until about the second or third quarter for them to get a, a red zone carry. Um they, they ran the ball 30 times, but Tyler Huntley had 11 of those on this sort of QB sweep thing, which it was okay for one or two plays, but he's not Lamar Jackson. Like You, you can't give him the ball that, that many times, and especially not in the red zone. Hunt, Huntley did miss Mark Andrews wide open for a, for a touchdown. I don't think he even, even saw him um, on one of the, the red zone drives that stalled and, and they kicked a, a field goal. So I think I think... Huntley's played okay, but he he is what we expect him to be. And as you say, three and one is is probably more than we expect from from him. I think the Mark Andrews play it's a really good sign um, of what you're getting in Tyler Huntley in a backup quarterback, where he is a probably a one read quarterback. We've we've spoke about this over the last few weeks. I say we. I've not been on the podcast for a few weeks now, but he he sort of is the type. If he's on the three step drop, he he gets to the back of the drop, plants his foot in the in in the floor, and the and the ball goes, which. Sometimes it makes the offense look quicker, a little bit more switched on, but it does. What Lamar gives you, Shane, that Tyler Huntley doesn't, is Lamar will sort of has got that vision to see Mark maybe coming open and will just hold on to the ball for, for just a step longer. So that that's sort of the, the, the little bit of downturn we've seen with um, Tyler Huntley coming in. Yeah, and if he doesn't get that first read and he hasn't got a gap to run into, he holds the ball and just doesn't seem to know where to go with it. And again, like you know, we're talking about a backup quarterback, so he's done a perfectly um, acceptable job. But I think that was the difference. And there were moments I got the sense that Roman was really trying to get him into a rhythm, passing the ball with some of his play calls because he kept calling deep strikes. And there were points where um, Hundley would miss horribly down the field. And I was on Twitter, so I was like, yeah, Huntley's not really got the accuracy for this. And then the next one, he'd throw like a pinpoint pass for 30 yards or something. Like He can do it. He just can't do it with the consistency of Lamar, which is entirely what you expect for a player at his level. But I kind of got the sense that Huntley was thinking, if I can give him a bit more confidence, he's actually going to pick up. And it seemed like some of those decisions, the missing Mark Andrews in the end zone one, I think, was a confidence issue. If he'd had the confidence to go... I'm still in the backfield. I've still got the ball. There's no immediate pressure. I can just take a moment to see where the gaps are. He could have found him, but he just seemed to be playing much faster in his head. It was just like it was in panic mode. Um, And I think they think 
he can be better with more confidence. I think they're probably right. We saw that last year that he, I, I think he played better this time last year than he's playing now, which isn't to say he's playing badly. I think he's doing fine. But, you know, I definitely got the sense that Lamar in those situations would have been more clinical. I'm not sure we've got this on the show sheet, but it probably is worth mentioning. We talk about potential Pro Bowl quarterback um, Tyler Huntley here. Is, is, is the, the fourth alternative? Does that mean making yeah. the fourth best quarterback? No, I think it's the, there's one, two, and three have been picked, and then as the fourth alternate, he would sit fifth, on seventh, right, okay. fifth or sixth in the in the AFC, which you know that's pretty good going. I'm not Ian, entirely sure what's going on there. Ian, you've got a giggle in your face here. Tyler Huntley, the fifth best quarterback in the AFC in your eyes? It's just ludicrous. The whole Pro Bowl needs to like, just rip the whole thing up. Oh, they've, they've tried this year, haven't they? Changed it into a skill competition or whatever. I'm excited to see it this year, actually. Get, get flag football. Yeah. yeah, flag football. I think that'll be a little bit more interesting then. And also um, now they've opened it up to a public vote. I mean, this is very. I don't really care about the Pro Bowl one way or another. But bear in mind, Pro Bowl selections are still factored quite heavily for putting a player into the Hall of Fame. And you've now got fan votes giving a certain amount of weight. You've got somebody like um, Zeitler, for example, who's having definitely a Pro Bowl standard career who didn't get selected, a career, a Pro Bowl standard season who didn't get selected. And then, like I say, Tyler Huntley could well play in a Pro Bowl if enough QBs decide not to answer their phone in mid-January or whenever it is. So, yeah, it's become a bit daft now. Yeah, so let's get back to football that matters then. the um, After a few weeks of sort of, we, we're expecting the Ravens to come out and, and rush the ball and getting frustrated with Greg Roman seemingly abandoning the run, and we're going to have a very interesting conversation about that as we preview the upcoming game. Um, 34 rush attempts spread between the guys and a pretty good outing across the board for the running backs. Yeah, the, the, the running backs were as they've been for the last couple of couple of weeks. J.K. and Gus look look really good, don't they? I was I was frustrated, as I say, with with Roman that he he ran the ball between the twenties. He seemed to get into the red zone, and then just for some reason, if he was going to run it, it was going to be with Huntley, which I I didn't love that. Um, I didn't. I think I, I Shane was on Twitter duty, and we never do this. What when one of us is on Twitter duty, the other one just leaves it alone completely. And I sent a tweet mid game just saying like. Gus had only had eight carries and he had sort of 70 or 80 yards. So I was I was frustrated with that. I wanted to see Gus get a few more. As I said, I think Huntley had 11 carries, which I think is is too high. I'd like to see him around five or six and the rest of those spread spread between. I, st- I still think JK's on, on a bit of a pitch count. I think he had sort of 13 or so carries in this game. He hasn't gone above 15 carries. And I, you, you can see he, he's running well, but he's not 100%. So I think there is some sort of pitch count there. You know, yeah, I was just going to ask that. that. Sorry, uh, Shane. I was going to ask that. That's the one thing that you don't get in the game in forty because the sort of the play ends and then they just cut to the next player. You don't see sort of the player reaction as as they get off the floor. Um, how, how is JK looking? Is it is he still looking a bit banged up? Do you think he he looks banged up on those? It, it's weird. He he his jump cuts are, are superb. His acceleration through the line. It's those really long runs that he breaks. If he breaks a sort of twenty twenty five yarder, it's towards the end of the run when he starts slowing up a little bit. And and you you just he's never had like top end speed to 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 get away, but but he's quick enough. And he and he's getting chased down an awful lot. And you see him sort of slowing up at the end of runs. So you don't you don't notice it so much in short space as I say his jump cuts are some of the best I've seen like he, he makes people miss at the line very rarely he, he's getting dragged down behind the line but it's those longer runs that you really notice the top end speed 
to give credit where it's due, uh, Dobbins is on the um, the Lounge podcast, the, the Ravens podcast hosted by Ryan Mink and uh, uh, and Garrett Downing this week. And they, uh, I think Ryan Mink had looked at the stats and said that his top speed seems to be one mile per hour slower this year and said to him, like, you know, that's a tiny difference. Can you really feel that? And he says, yeah, absolutely, I can feel it. Like, when I get to that point where I'm breaking into the open field and I should hit my top speed, it's just not there, is what he said. It's it's worth listening to that interview because you get a sense of just how hungry he is. He would happily take he would happily take the ball on every single snap and run it and would not have a problem with that at all. So I think he's he probably is getting quite frustrated. And they haven't said they're holding him on account, but it seems pretty obvious that they are. <laughs> Interesting. Something we haven't spoke about since week three, I believe, then, Shane. Um, somebody, not a quarterback, not a tight end, not a running back, caught a touchdown pass. I didn't know. Are you allowed to do this? You're allowed, yeah. allowed to throw it to wide receivers in the end zone, are you? Apparently you are, it turns out. I mean, if somebody had mentioned this sooner, <laughs> then, uh, you know, those red zone trips might have been more fruitful. Um, yeah, they didn't. I mean, no, no wide receiver really dominated this game. But um, you know, Demarcus Robinson got the touchdown in the end. Um, uh, they had brought in Sammy Watkins basically off the street after getting uh, dropped by the Packers. Went straight into starting the game and did get one very big catch. They were, you know, getting the wide receivers involved a little bit, but um, it was very much. You know, you clump them together as a unit, and the wide receivers were okay in this game, but no individual really made a difference. But it was a good touchdown by Demarcus Robinson. He did well to get the ball in and stay in bounds. Um, and uh, it's not one of those things where you say, "Well, hopefully that will give him more confidence for for more catches," because it isn't really that the wide receivers have been missing chances. It's just that they've not been finding them when they get down there. I've got this real bee in my bonnet about a wide receiver's not going to reach 500 yards this year. And and Demarcus, even with his touchdown in this game, he's only at four hundred and twenty-five now. So he's got two games. I, I don't think he's going to make it. I think you're probably right. Yeah, I really wouldn't be surprised. I think a, a frustration for me as someone who likes shiny toys and and big names is, I wonder if the Ravens even picked up the phone to try T. Y. Hilton. We tried to sign him the year previously, and the Cowboys sign him off the street, and he looks absolutely perfect. Well, not perfect, but. It looks like a much better option than anything we've got um, currently wide receiver. So um, just a little note to that of how frustrating it is watching him catch balls for the for the Cowboys. Um, Ian, let's start talking about the other side of the ball then. The defence are going into this game. They're going into the Steelers game this coming week. They've gone into the, the game, I guess, since Tyler Huntley started. Sort of knowing that it's up to them to win the ball. It's almost a case of if we shut this team out, we have a chance. If we let them score one or two, it's probably going to get out of hand. And to their credit, they're showing up and doing what's required of them. They are. And they're missing a few pieces. It's worth remembering that. Claire's Campbell out, Marcus Peters out. So they are missing guys. And yes, they haven't played an absolute gauntlet of teams and quarterbacks the last month or so of the season. But I don't care who you play. If you're... To not allow a touchdown in the NFL against anybody is is good going. Like even even the absolute bottom feeder teams are, are capable of scoring touchdowns. It's it's really hard to play defense in the in the NFL these days. And and you look at where this team. I think if you if you went back and looked at the ranks of this defense in the first two or three weeks of the season, they were probably in the late twenties, early thirties. I think it's a defense now overall. They're up to about number ten overall. Which which really shows you how how much they've improved. 
they haven't given up a touchdown at M&T Bank Stadium since October was the last time they, they allowed a touchdown. That was wow. back, in the, back in the Browns game. Um, and I'm, I'm going to mention him because we've, we've started to sort of talk about him a little bit on, on Raven of the Week now. But the difference Roquan Smith makes to this defence, I thought he was he was absolutely everywhere in this game. His sideline speed, um, we, we heard it from from Bears fans when we traded for him. If you can keep him clean, then then he'll make plays. And and that's what the big guys up front are doing, the Madabekes, the Washingtons. They're keeping him clean, letting him make plays. And him, him and Queen are just absolutely everywhere at the minute. They got the job done, I think. And that's, you know, that's the bottom line. That's what you're supposed to do. I and mean, Patrick Queen said after the game he felt that they should have played better and as a unit they all felt they should have played better. I think against a better team they probably would have given up at least one touchdown there. There was a weird phase at the end of the first half where the Falcons just moved the ball very steadily down the field and then they got into the red zone and essentially just repeatedly punched themselves in the face. It was like the weirdest <laughs> sequence. It was like that... Um, like you know, watching that, the Ravens. Yeah. <laughs> like that Simpsons clip where I think it's Sideshow Bob just keeps stepping on rakes. <laughs> like one after another hits him in the face. It was like that. It was like how they managed to not get into the end zone there is an absolute mystery. And their coach nearly exploded in frustration at the at the officials, I think, in a sort of weird intentional grounding decision and, and various other things. But um, but as Ian says, you know, you can you can only play the team that you that's in front of you. And they did... Um, a, everything that they needed to do to stop that team and give the offense the chance to score enough points to win the game. So, uh, yeah, good performance from them all around, I think. Cool. All right, let's uh, keep that short and sweet. Um, There's not too much to talk about in a 17-9 to game on Christmas Eve. Um, Raven of the Week. Ian, who have you got for your Raven of the Week this week? I've already mentioned him. I'm I'm going Rokon Smith. I think he was absolutely amazing in this game. Shade? Uh, I'm going to go with Justin Madabike, who I think, I mean, I should say is like a sort of, I don't think he qualifies as Raven of the Week, but it's worth mentioning Sammy Watkins did an incredible job to just show up and go straight into that team. A lot of people were going, well, he was in the system last year and he knows the playbook. He's been playing a completely different playbook with a completely different team the entire season. And I'm sure there must have been a hell of a lot of work involved for him at home studying to get ready for that game. And I thought he did a great job, but didn't quite do enough for me to say Raven of the Week. So I'm going Madabike, who had to step up in the absence of Calais Campbell. Uh, and I think he had a really good game. Um, I'll take Marlon Humphrey. Good to see a return of the fruit punch. He's um, showing himself as... Is he going to the Pro Bowl, Marlon? He is, yeah. Yeah, Marlon's going to the Pro Bowl. He's probably going to be... Um, yeah, he's going to finish the season as one of the best corners in the league. So um, we sometimes take him for granted because he isn't a splashy Jalen Ramsey in everyone's face type. He sort of keeps himself to himself, but he's playing some really solid football this year and um, and sort of blocking down almost one side of the field for most games. Something I guess we should mention, we haven't got on the script, we should mention before we get off. Another blocked field goal for Justin Tucker, that's two um, on the bounce. Is that Calais Campbell missing again? Is he the is he sort of the big unit in the middle of the field goal unit that that, that keeps those guys true and and doesn't let those guys get up? They've both been blocked off the nose tackle, haven't they? Yeah, it's uh, for a team that prides itself on on special teams. It's it's something that shouldn't happen, um, especially sort of back back to back weeks. Um, and you wonder whether it is something that that opposing teams have, have seen on film now. It's, it's you know, 
pretty pretty similar blocks. Um, Justin Tucker certainly wasn't happy, was he? And um, I've seen people start writing pieces now. I saw a, a UK website wrote a piece now about the best kickers in the NFL and how Justin Tucker's falling off a cliff. And the only kicker in the league that if he misses, like there's articles written about it. The other guys get away with missing one or two a week, and it, it sort of goes unnoticed. As soon as Justin Tucker's missing one, he's all of a sudden falling off a cliff. And I think it's. I think it's going to get fixed really quickly, this, isn't it, Shane? And we're going to see Tucker make some adjustments if he needs so. Or John Harbaugh's not going to let that special teams unit fail with their, well, one of the, the best weapons on the team. Well, particularly because they are so dependent on field goals at the moment. You know, they're still we're going to be, as we're going to talk about in a minute, we're going to be without Lamar Jackson for at least one more game. You know that when you get into Justin Tucker range, you want to be able to count on those three points. So yeah, they've absolutely got to be able to solve it. I mean, in each case, these these have been long kicks where he's got to keep the trajectory low um, in order to to get the distance that he needs, um, and that's what makes them blockable. It's not like you know the the Jags one that Calais Campbell blocked, for example, was much closer in, wasn't it, than either of the two yeah. um, Justin Tucker blocks. But yeah, I think they'll get that cleaned up. Okay, let's talk about a little bit of news before we look ahead at some early playoff standings and how the games this weekend are going to affect the Ravens. Um, Ian, more Lamar Jackson nonsense and everyone loses their minds for 24 hours. What, what's going on here? I've been see, see, recovering I, I, from the flu. Yeah, I didn't know whether you'd be across this one with your, no. your Twitter and everything. Okay, so... <laughs> So remember back when Lamar had a had a newborn baby for about 24 hours, oh, didn't yeah. he? And then he <laughs> yeah. turned out, okay. So we've had something a little bit similar to that this over the Christmas period. So um, do I name names? I, I'm sure you all know who, who writes for the Baltimore Sun. Anyway, oh, yeah. he, he, he goes on a, a local radio show every Monday morning and they do a Monday morning quarterback piece. And he sort of floated it out there that... Lamar wasn't really 100% engaged in his rehab. He'd been missing a few sort of treatment um, times here and there and coming in when he wanted and, and, and this sort of thing. So that, that blew up all over Twitter. Suddenly it was Lamar's, you know, holding out from the Ravens. He hasn't got a contract. He doesn't really care about the team. He's letting his teammates down. He's not coming in and getting his, his treatment in his rehab, which I thought was weird because... The two home games that Lamar's missed, he's been on the sideline next to Snoop. He, he's there. He's, he's talking him through plays. He seemed pretty engaged to me. If you were if you were really that annoyed at the team, you'd, you'd be staying away, wouldn't you? So we sort of stayed away from this this thing on on Twitter. Anyway, the next the next morning, the very same person that sort of came out and said all this then wrote a piece. He'd obviously been told off by someone. <laughs> A sourced piece from a, from a team source telling him that, you know, Lamar's been to every treatment. He's, he's got a perfect attendance. He's, he's engaged. He's in. And just like it did with the, the whole new baby thing, it absolutely blew up on Twitter. People were half the fan base is saying, right, we'll get rid of him right now. The other half's in Lamar's corner. It's just absolute nonsense. And round and round we go. Uh, now you've mentioned it, I did see a little bit of that come through Twitter. So, I mean, it was ruled as a four to six week injury and we're in week five. Is this week five, I guess? That's where some of the confusion came from because originally it was a one to three week injury. So that's right, okay. what so they were told, a one to three week. And that was sort of Rappaport and Schefter were saying this. 
and it's since come out that it's a bit more serious and yeah four four to six is the new timeline we see whether we see Lamar in the in the regular season again so I don't think it was is anything about sort of Lamar soft playing this or holding out at all I just think that the injury is a little bit more severe than than people thought it was yeah absolutely um a couple of other little bits of news on uh a few guys were released over the over the last few weeks when I've not been with you. Um, Shane, do you want to just give us a quick rundown of, of who's moved around here and does it matter at all to us at this point? Yeah, there's, there's been a bit of shuffling, um, essentially to make room for people they've needed to bring in, I think. So to uh, they ran out of um, practice squad upgrades for, um, what's his name, the backup, backup quarterback. Anthony Brown. Um, Exactly. This is where my terrible memory for names really doesn't help. Um, so, um, Dalen Mack was released. Um, the word was that they were going to bring him back onto the practice squad. I don't know whether he was claimed before that or whether he was claimed off the practice squad, but the Seahawks have claimed him, so he is he's now lost. Um, and then uh, Tyler Beatty, or Baddy, um, apparently terminated his own practice squad contract, which I didn't know you could do. I guess that's the equivalent of resigning from football um, and then got picked up by the Denver Broncos. Uh, I don't really know the rules of how that works with practice squad contracts. Is he on but... the Broncos? Sorry, is he on the Broncos practice squad though? No, no. He went straight onto their, onto their full roster. Yeah, you can't take someone from a team's practice squad and put them on your practice squad. You have to sign well, them I knew that. I thought, with him, I thought with him, in essence, does he become a free... If he pulls out of the, pra- the practice squad, is he then a free agent and are you signing him off the street? So in essence... Well, you- that's the weird bit. I mean, I assume that if you quit, you essentially... I mean, basically, if you quit, you're essentially retiring, but the team that you quit from retains your rights. So if you yeah. then say, I'm still playing... The Ravens would still have his rights. He would be a practice squad player, so you can still claim him off the practice squad. But it's a bit weird. I've not heard of a player terminating his own practice squad contract. But um, So it may be that there was some weird timings and maybe Denver had already spoken to him and the message has got mangled somewhere. But anyway, he, he has also gone. So he's uh, there was then a brief flurry on social media of people going, you see, this is why Eric DaCosta has been so terrible at drafting. What a race waste of a pick. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, it's not like they took him in the first round, guys. I think we can we can all chill out about the loss of Tyler Beatty. They're, they're both slightly weird in that the, the Ravens hope to get Mac back on on the practice squad, obviously. But but these guys can be claimed at any time by another team off the practice squad. And, and the Seahawks have obviously just been looking through the transaction list and seen he's been been cut and gone. Oh, we'll we'll pick him up then. They could have had him at any time they wanted. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Lamar, uh, we've, we've just touched on, uh, ruled out for the upcoming game against the Steelers. Uh, Marcus Peters also ruled out. Campbell's practicing, but limited. Um, Twitter guys, I guess it's both of you now. Shane, I'll come to you. Have you seen anything come through on Campbell? Does he trend in the right direction? He's got a little bit extra time to go, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I we mean... should mention that. We've been flexed to... The game's changed times. Yes. So yes. Um, we now, uh, luckily we've got a bank holiday on the Monday, but it's now one twenty on Monday That's right. morning. It is, yeah. So, yeah, Campbell, I think the best guess is that Campbell will be available. Presumably they're going to limit how many snaps they put him on for and rotate a little bit more. But I think it will, it will come down to a decision as to how many snaps they think he can play. If he's going to be 
active, if he's going to be able to play enough snaps to make it worth being active, it sounds like he can be active. Um, if they feel like they would have to limit him too much, then I guess they may may well use that um, roster spot elsewhere. But it certainly sounds, you can never really be certain of anything with the Ravens until they've definitively said it, but it sounds like we'll see Campbell. Right, so I'm just playing on my, um, if anyone's really bored, uh, next.playoffpredictors.com. You can just spend hours on this thing and you're getting all the scores worked out. Now, what's interesting about Monday night now is if the Bills take care of business against the Bengals, Monday night football means nothing to the Ravens. If the Bengals lose on, when do they play? Sunday afternoon? Yeah. I'm not sure, actually. Well, the, anyway, we're, we're the last game of the week, so they'll be playing before us. Oh, well, they'll, they'll be playing Monday Night Football. This is Bengals, Bengals, Bills is, uh, Bengals Bills is Monday Night Football, yeah. Oh, that's annoying for us. Oh, yeah, that is Beng- annoying for Bengals us. Bengals, Bills is Monday Night so Football. So it is going to matter. So if the Bengals and Bills had played before us, we, in essence, could have sat everybody against the Steelers because it, it then ultimately comes down to Week 18. As long as we... Um, as long as the... Bengals lose, and we, if we, we both lose this week, it comes down to week eight. I think pretty much every scenario pans out, unless the Bengals win this week and we lose. I don't think we then can get, we can win the North. I think the, the Bengals will then win the North on that, I believe. This is where it all gets a little bit confusing. Um, so let's have a look at where we stand at the moment. We've currently got Buffalo in the number one spot. Um, your games then number two, Kansas with number seven, Miami coming to town. Uh, number three, AFC North winner, Cincinnati Bengals with the LA Chargers coming to town. And then the number four, Jacksonville Jaguars, the looking to be AF South winners with the Baltimore Ravens coming to town. So there's a couple of options here. Now, you'll have heard me mention a lot on the podcast. I've got two really close friends, one Brad being a Dolphins fan, um, Jake, who we've had on being a Jacksonville fan. I think either scenario, there's a couple of scenarios where either Miami comes to us or we go to Jacksonville, which I'm obviously rooting for from a a, a personal, um, I mean, I'd love to go, I'd love to see and the whole Lamar Kaplan, the cold narrative for him to go down to Jacksonville in, in January is a nice thing. Um, Shane, is there any in playoff matches you, you want to see here? Is any, are you scared about not winning the North and going away? Do you want that home field advantage? Or if you get the home field advantage, you've then probably got Miami or a, 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 a simmering off team now, I guess. They were really hot, but Tua, I guess if you put them on the floor in the first quarter, might not play the rest of the game. The Chargers are getting hot. Do you want that calibre of team coming to town, or would you rather go play the AFC South winner away? I think it's... It's playoff football and it's not, you know, they're all going to be tough games. I would lean towards having a home playoff game. I think that's always going to be better. One extra week at home before you then, if you win it, you've got to hit the road um, for subsequent games. I think, I mean, you know, the Ravens have historically done much better as a road playoff game anyway. Their two Super Bowl wins came when they had to go on the road the whole way. So I don't think it I don't think it hamstrings them too much if they have to go down to Jacksonville and prove that they can beat them, having lost that one earlier in the season. But personally, I'd rather have a home playoff game um, uh, and, yeah, whoever it is who's coming to town. But I don't think there's not much to choose between them for me. 
Ian, how about you? I mean, I'm, I'm rooting hard for, for Baltimore at, at Jacksonville. We we know how the um, the scores work with Jacksonville. It's our turn to win. Uh, so that feels like a, um, a go to Jacksonville um, and take care of business game. Is there anything in... I mean, there's a few like weird things. We might end up with the Jets sneaking in. You might end up with... There's, there's a few people that can still sneak in here. But looking at the teams that are in there at the moment and look to be the final seven, depending on how, how the, the dominoes fall as to who sits where. Um, anything that you like the look of more than anything else? Yeah, I think if you just quickly, if you take a straw poll of Ravens fans at the minute, I think Shane's going to be on, on the lower side. I think a lot of a lot of Ravens fans at the minute would give away the AFC North and, and lock themselves into that five spot and take the trip to Jacksonville or, or Tennessee, whoever wins that, that matchup. They see that as a sort of easier path. I look at the playoffs, I look at the teams that are in there, and as you say, the Jets can sneak in, the Patriots, even the Steelers can still sneak in with, if, if results go their way. The only team I don't want to play is the Bengals. They scare the, the hell out of me. I, I really don't don't see them as a good matchup for us. I, there's a scenario where the, the, the Ravens lose both games and they get into the playoffs as the seven seed and they go to Kansas. I, I'd be okay with that. Really? I, I think I'm on my own, but Mahomes is an absolute alien. He's he's different class, but the rest of that team is beatable. I've I've watched a lot of Kansas over the last few weeks, and they're really beatable. I Buffalo, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate. It's it's tough, but it's the, the one team I don't want is the Bengals, and I hate admitting that. But they 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 they've, they've played four good quarters in the last two weeks they've, they've had four really bad quarters and they've had four really good quarters so there is you know they're not they're not a, an absolute steam train that's going to run you over but I just don't I don't like the matchup and I certainly don't like going there final week of the season and then having to turn around and go there again the week after a lot of it depends to me on who it is that we've got a quarterback for that playoff game because we still don't know. We, you know, we, we we're not going to see Lamar this week. We don't know if we're going to see him for the visit to the Bengals in in, in the final week of the season. If we do see him, then it, well, whether we do or we don't, there's still a question of is he going to be, you know, is the rust going to have come off? Is he going to be fully at game speed by the time they go into the playoffs? If he's not available and it's Tyler Huntley at QB, I don't really like us facing any of those teams. And again, no disrespect to Huntley who is doing about as great a job as you can ask, but it's playoff football with a backup QB. In the modern NFL, that's incredibly hard to do. Um, so I do think a lot of it depends on, is Lamar back, and is he up at game speed by the time they get to the playoffs? If he is, I'm not actually... I don't fear any of those teams. I do think that you know there are, there are games that would be very, very difficult for the Ravens in the playoffs. I think Buffalo, Kansas, and Cincinnati particularly would be hard but with Lamar playing the way we know he can play this team is built to play a certain kind of football I don't I don't fear any of those teams but if Lamar isn't back and then he's not up to if he is back and he's not up to game speed um, then I don't think it really makes much difference to be honest we're, we're in for a whole off season of this again that I'm, I'm with Shane I don't think we'll see Lamar for the rest of the regular season I don't don't think we'll see him back against the Bengals um, so we go into the playoffs. He hasn't he hasn't practiced for over a month. He hasn't played. 
if everything goes wrong, he's rusty, we, we get bounced in the first round, we get that whole off-season of, well, we've got Lamar's contract as well, but we get that whole off-season of Lamar can't win in the playoffs. And yeah. give, give the guy a break. He hasn't, he hasn't played, but I, I don't see a great, a great scenario and outcome for the Ravens. Yeah, I'm just playing with the playoff calculator. If we lose both, we'd then be rooting. If we lose both, we're going to Kansas City unless the Rams could get a win over the Chargers this week or the Broncos get a win over the Chargers next week, which you're going to fancy the Chargers in both of those games at the moment. So um, we need to take take care of business against the Steelers this week. But that does bring up the Cincinnati Bengals. So we're either playing them once or twice, so I guess... um, it almost makes week 18... Uh, well, it's going to be a playoff game, isn't it? You're, you're playing for the division. It, it, it's an early playoff game, so... And I think that's the other thing. Like, you know, if, if you if you want to win the division, if you can win the division, I think. I do think yep. you want to be able to add to those titles. I know, um, what do people call it? A cotton trophy or whatever it is, because you get a t-shirt, a t-shirt game, basically. T-shirt you know, and cap game. Yeah, you don't get a trophy for it, but who cares? It goes down It goes down in history that you won the division. You're, you're the division winners. You won that if you can get it. Um, there is the beginnings well it's a narrative that's been rumbling along but it's coming back up again about Lamar which is that he's injury prone that he's played he's basically played eight of the last no he's missed eight of the last 20 Ravens games which is quite a lot for a starting QB Um, and bizarrely if you go and look at the games against the Steelers he hardly ever plays against the Steelers which is just weird Um, I think it's a factor I think it's to do with the fact that he's tended to be out in the late part of this season last season the covid thing happened sort of later in the 2020 season and they tend to schedule those Steelers games for later in the season i think that's why it's happened but i think he's only started three games against the steelers um in you know since that 2019 season because the 2018 steelers games came before he took over um so it's quite weird that he's only done three of the available whatever it is eight um, but anyway, there's a sort of simmering narrative of people who are worried about the guaranteed money he wants saying, you know, he's injury prone. We can't give all this money to a quarterback who's failed to complete the last two seasons. So we can have fun talking about that in the off season as well. Sounds like we've got a, a fun off season ahead of that. OK, we started talking about those Pittsburgh Steelers and how Lamar Jackson um, won't be playing against them again. Um, Shane, are you ready for the jingle? Are you going to give us some... Hot yes. takes about the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Absolutely. A rich history. So I was going to talk about um, Ravens-Steelers matchups uh, and how those have gone late in the season. And there are some good ones. The Ravens have knocked the Steelers out of the playoffs on occasion, but there are also some really horrible ones. I don't want to go over those given the uh, the kind of season we've had over the last few weeks. But what I did want to talk about was Franco Harris, who died uh, the week before Christmas, um, Hall of Fame running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he was 72 years old um, and absolutely uh, a crucial figure in NFL history. He's best known for his uh, involvement in a play that became known as the Immaculate Reception. Um, Plays in the 70s, particularly, like big plays, tended to acquire names. So Ghost to the Post, the Holy Roller, the Hail Mary, which was originally one play that became uh, a generic term we apply to desperate throws into the end zone. And the Immaculate Reception was another one of those. And it was really kind of the first highlight reel moment of the ascending Steelers. It came a couple of years before their first Super Bowl. 
but it was a sign that they were becoming a force in the AFC. And I mentioned the, the last time we did a history segment on the Steelers, I mentioned that there's basically 40 years of the Steelers being absolute garbage. So in the early 70s, they started to get good. And that immaculate, immaculate reception play was the point at which things started to turn around. They became, they won their first Super Bowl in 74. They won four Super Bowls in five seasons, which is extraordinary. Um, because I'm a Ravens fan, uh, we have to obviously diminish that achievement somewhat <laughs> by pointing out that it was easier to establish a dynasty in, in, in those days. It just was. Uh, and there's two main reasons for that. First, there was no salary cap. So you could keep acquiring really good players and you could just keep paying them. Just keep paying as many as you wanted. And the second one is that there was no free agency. So it was technically possible for a player to leave and go to another team, but the rules stated that the team taking the player had to compensate his former team with a draft pick, and nobody wanted to go near that. So actual free agent moves back in the 70s were incredibly rare. So you could establish a big team, and it was hard. It definitely was hard to put together a really good team, as hard as it's always been. But once you'd got one, Keeping them together was much easier than it is in the current NFL, which is why from the 60s through to the 90s, you have one dynasty after another because they established these really good teams and they just kept them going. Um, Franco Harris was one of the earlier Steelers. The things really turned around for them in 1974. Their 1974 draft was just mind-blowing. The record for the number of Hall of Famers in a single NFL draft is 10 which was one of the early 60s drafts, 62 or 64 or something. Ten Hall of Famers were drafted in the whole draft by everybody. In, ni- in the 1974 NFL draft, four, uh, five Hall of Famers were drafted total. Four of them were drafted by the Steelers, which wow. is unheard of. They took uh, Hall of Fame wide receiver Lynn Swan in the first round, Hall of Fame linebacker Jack Lambert in the second round, Hall of Fame wide receiver John Stallworth in the fourth round, and then Hall of Fame center Mike Webster in the fifth round. And those were the crucial building blocks that turned them into a juggernaut that, like I say, rolled through four Super Bowl wins. And Frank Har- Franco Harris was a part of that. But to go back to the Immaculate Reception, this was a game, not only was it the Steelers winning, which obviously I'm not pleased about, uh, but they beat John Madden's Raiders, and John Madden is a hero of mine, and I, f- I feel like John Madden's Raiders should have won more Super Bowls than they did. This was an AFC uh, divisional playoff game, December the 23rd, 1972, um, so it was 50 years, so Franco Harris died the day before the 50th anniversary of this play, um, and the last second of the game, the last minute of the game, basically, the, the Steelers... Um, had just gone down in the game 7-6. It wasn't a high-scoring game. Football back then was just not high-scoring. I mean, this you look at some of these playoff games, they sound like recent Ravens games. They were, <laughs> nobody was scoring any points. Um, and they were desperately driving to score a touchdown that would, that would win the game or to get into field goal range for a game-winning field goal. Uh, Terry Bradshaw drops back under pressure, throws a desperation pass to his fullback who's just gone out as an outlet there's a collision then between the fullback and a, and a Raiders linebacker the ball bounces off somebody um Franco Harris catches it basically on his shoelaces and then runs the rest of the way for the game winning touchdown he's uncovered because everybody thought the ball was going somewhere else the contra- the controversy around that play and part of why it's memorable is first of all nobody's quite sure whether it hit the ground before Franco Harris caught it or not secondly the rules as they were at the time 
mean that it's really important who it bounced off. So it bounced off the Steelers fullback, um, Frankie Fuqua, I think his name was, um, an appropriate name for a Steeler. Um, if it bounced <laughs> off him, then the rules of the time mean that he's the only player who can catch it. If it hits a player on the receiving team, only he is eligible to catch it, which would mean Franco Harris was not eligible. The Steelers would have turned the ball over on downs. The Raiders would have gone on to the championship game. Um, if it was Jack Lambert, who was the Raiders linebacker who touched the ball, then it is a legal catch for Franco Harris. And I noticed in the, the Ravens game against the Falcons on, on Christmas Eve, there was a moment when they were checking, they were reviewing whether a catch had been made. And the commentator said, oh, well done to our camera team for catching that. And I was thinking, there's like 40 cameras around the stadium. Of course, somebody caught it. Everything in an NFL game is caught on multiple cameras now. That wasn't the case in 1972. This was a televised playoff game. Precisely what happened at that moment is not really caught on camera. It's quite hard to tell who the ball came off. And because it bounced at such a, you know, bounced up in the air, went to a player, nobody was expecting to catch it. The precise moment of the catch isn't on film either. So there's lots of arguments from Raiders who say that it was the Steeler who touched the ball and from Steelers who say it was a Raider that touched the ball. A physicist weighed in through footballs at a brick wall to work out who it could have bounced off and at what angle. And his take was that it had to have bounced off the Raiders linebacker because it couldn't have reached Franco Harris if it had bounced off the Steelers player. But nobody actually knows for sure. Um, as it was, it stood. The the referee, and there's more controversy about this play, the referee went to the sidelines and phoned the press box to speak to the head of officiating and then came back and ruled that it was a touchdown for the Steelers. Nobody's quite sure what happened in that conversation. There are Raiders players who reckon that he went to ask if there was enough police presence to escort the players off the field if he ruled in favour of the Raiders. There are people who think that he phoned up to the head of officiating who consulted a replay and then made a decision. There was no instant replay at that time, so that would have been completely outside of the rules. The official line is, he rang up and said, two of my officials say it was a catch. The others have no clue. <laughs> what do I do? And the head of officiating said, well, you rule it's a catch, which seems obvious when you think about it. So the story, like, whatever story you believe, they're all a bit fishy. But he came back on and he ruled it a catch for the for the Steelers. It went down in history. They lost in the next round to the Dolphins anyway, who won the Super Bowl. So it didn't have a massive change. But like I say, it was that turning point. It was that moment at which Steelers fans started to believe we've got the makings of a good team here and we've got like a team that's actually capable of winning in the playoffs. Um, and so they did. And that was Franco Harris's role in, in history. And I think, as you were saying on a recent podcast, you know, the idea of the Hall of Fame is can you tell the story of football without him? And in Franco Harris's case, you absolutely cannot tell the story of the NFL in the 70s without him. It, it's really interesting as the game's div, like developing and, and the fix these issues. I'm just wondering if we'll be sat here in 30 years' time still doing the UK Rivers podcast and we'll be saying, do you remember when, before we had chips in the ball, there used to be these two men with these flags <laughs> that were connected by a 10-yard chain and they used to like... <laughs> Place the ball wherever they thought it went down, and they used to waddle out with a little chain. Like it's, it's madness, isn't it? And we will have that in a few years, where eventually we just put a chip in the ball, like tennis yeah. is done for, yeah. however long it has done, and and we look back. It's it's interesting to see how these rules come about, and I wonder what's going to be. There's always something in the playoffs, 
always something in the playoffs that leads to a rule change. I wonder what it's going to be this year. It feels like, what is it now that um, roughing the passer could be reviewable? That there were some talks about that, wasn't there? But it'd be interesting, yep. especially with like two are going in with. Uh, I mean, we're not the UK Miami Dolphins podcast, but we should mention like it's coming out that two is like considering retiring from football because it's had that many concussions now that it doesn't know what sort of life he's going to live after the game. Spoiler alert, if Tua leaves Miami, Lamar Jackson is going to Miami, by the way. Let's just, let's just address, let's address this now. Let's just rip the bandaid off. If Tua retires, Lamar Jackson is going to be a dolphin next year without, <laughs> with, with, without fail. But anyway, let's get onto that in the off season. Let's instead talk about the upcoming Sunday night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. A bit of fashion news. We're playing in all black. Ravens love rolling the all blackout for a night game against the Steelers. It used to be somewhat successful, didn't it? But it sort of lost its edge a little bit over the last couple of years. Um, we've got here, Ian, the number one rush defence and the number two rush defence. Um, two teams that are also really good at rushing the ball, and all they do is rush the ball. So how many times is Greg Roman going to throw the ball on Sunday <laughs> night, do you think? <laughs> I think San Francisco might take you off on the number one rush defense. I think they're they're still they're still number one. I mean, I'd heard that we were one and two. I think I think we're I think we're two. Um, but I, th- I don't think San Francisco have let up seventy yards in pretty much all season, which is ridiculous. But um, the Steelers have made a a big noise this week about how the Ravens ran all over them a couple of weeks ago. We we were at our meetup, we watched it, and and they seem to have taken that quite personally that the Ravens were. Was it JK's first game back? Was it where he went for over a yeah. hundred? Yeah, and they seem they seem to have taken that quite personally, and they, they've come out and made a lot of noise. Well, they knew at the end of that game the Ravens were going to run, and they still couldn't stop them. So it's it's going to be interesting to see to see what they do. Um, that that's the key to the game, isn't it? That the Ravens are going to want to run the ball. They're going to want to run JK and Gus, and it's it's whether that Steelers defense who who is talented, what Highsmith. Hayward, they they've got some good players, some great safeties as well. Do they just bring everyone up to the line and say to Tyler Huntley, "Well, you're, you're going to have to throw it. We're not we're not gonna we're not gonna let you." It's one one thing I think Roman did quite well against the Falcons was early in the game. It didn't look great, but he was taking those deep shots. Huntley wasn't connecting, and he was throwing them to Josh Oliver, not Mark Andrews. But at least he he took a couple of, of shots and forced those safeties back, so that you know that there was a bit of room to run. Um, I imagine the Steelers will do something quite quite similar, bring a lot of guys up into the box and say to Tyler Huntley, you, you're going to have to beat us with your arm. I mean, that's... It, you know we've got the speed of Sammy Watkins on the outside now. You've got to... The defence will have to give something up to Sammy Watkins. Something we didn't mention in the news. Uh, low murmurings, but the Ravens are in contract talks with 49-year-old don't, receiver don't Terrell, Terrell Owens. Is that something that landed on Twitter this week? He was... I mean, either... Somebody in his camp is having a laugh, or somebody on social media is having a laugh with this. Like it, I mean, initially, supposedly, he was having talks with the Cowboys, and then it moved on to talks with the Ravens. I can't imagine that there's any truth in this whatsoever, but it is possible someone in his camp is just constantly ringing the switchboard and getting told, look, would you stop bothering us, please? I mean, like Deshaun Jackson is, is doing remarkably well considering his age. Can you imagine a 49-year-old wide receiver trying to play in today's NFL? That's just... I mean, the guy's older than me and, and will be playing in the NFL. It's insane. Absolutely insane. 
one of the more funny storylines to track over the last week as um, yeah, forty nine year old old wide receiver coming out and uh, he was obviously going to be linked to the Ravens. Why would he, why would he not be linked? Why would he not be linked to yeah. the Ravens? Um, Shane, what do you think? Uh, anything on on top of what Ian's just said on how the Ravens attack this game? Are we just looking for um, JK to get that little bit better and just give Gus the ball and? old school AFC North football it's going up 12-9 or something in, in that region I think so I mean I, I think the worry is just how angry the Steelers are about what happened to them on run defense in the previous game they're absolutely not going to want to let that happen um, and on the other side I think Greg Roman will be very confident that he can do it again It's, it's I agree with with Ian, it's just going to come down to which of those two forces prevail. But I'm quite worried that, you know, obviously it's a rivalry game. These teams typically split, uh, very often split the games between them. And the Steelers, regardless of whether they're in playoff contention or not, at the moment they still are, but regardless, they are absolutely going to want to get even after what they see as a bit of humiliation at their place. But it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be a question of who can prevail in that sort of battle of wills, I think. Cool. Right, let's predict it then. Ian, what have we got for Ravens, Steelers? I, I really what's the, want... In fact, what's the over-under? Let me just check oh, the over-under is before. It can't be high. Ravens, Steelers, over-under. Uh, 36 points. That's too high. <laughs> By about 16 points. Yeah. For, for just that game, or are they going to be a multiple series? I I really I really want to pick the Steelers in this game, but I'm not going to. I'm I'm. There's a world where, at kickoff, the Steelers have already been eliminated from playoff contention. I'm going to hope that's the case. They're a little bit deflated in the locker room when they see other other scores come in, and the Ravens manage to squeak one out here. I think the Ravens need this one more than more than the Steelers do. That sounds silly because the Steelers can still get in the playoffs, but. I think the Ravens desperately need this one if they want to avoid Cincinnati, um, and and if they've got any aspirations to win to win the North, I think they they probably need to win this one. So I'm going to give it to them sixteen ten, um, in a real turgid affair. And for my player prop, let's give David Ajabo his first sack. I think his mum went and met Lacey DeCosta this week, so a bit of good juju there. Okay, Shane, what have you got? I think it's going to be a one-score game like these things usually are and like the Ravens games have been for the last few weeks. And I have no real sort of on-field reasons for thinking this. It's purely that these the series is split so often that I just think the Steelers are going to take this one. And I think it's going to be 2019 to the Steelers. Um, and as a player prop, I think Sammy Watkins is going to get a touchdown. I mean, Watkins in the end zone. I'll go nine six Ravens. Justin, wow. <laughs> Justin Tucker, Tucker to win it at the gun and continue this run of terrible primetime games the Ravens that the um, NFL have been having. Why have the NFL flexed this game? Like, this is why? terrible. I think. I think. I think because I think had they not flexed it, I'd have predicted more points. But I just think the Ravens just not going to turn up under the lights in, in prime time for whatever reason. I don't know why have the why have the flex this game. Well, didn't it's they flex out an, another game that had playoff implications as well? It's not like they flexed out a game that was just completely dead. I can't remember which one they flexed out, but it's very odd. And there are, I mean, obviously there are other games that have 
playoff implications. So it's an odd one to pick. But um, they do, I mean, you know, Raven Steelers is a very good one for TV networks to sell because they can still market it based on the rivalry and all that stuff. So, Okay, well, we'll keep it short and sweet. Well, short for us, we're coming in around an hour. That's, that's quite short for as far as we go at the moment. Um, we'll be back. Oh, I should probably, probably say, I hope all those listeners had a happy Christmas. I should have maybe done this at the top of the show rather than <laughs> right at the end, but here we are. Um, I got told today that it's bad luck to wish someone Happy New Year before the 1st of January. So I instead will not wish anyone a Happy New Year. Um, I will just say I hope you've had a really nice festive season and we'll be back on Thursday, hopefully if we, we're back on time and, and back in the sync things in the new year, um, reviewing the ugly Ravens game against the Pittsburgh Steelers and then previewing our final regular season game against Cincinnati. If you'd like to be involved with the show, as always, please email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com and until next week, let's go Ravens. Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. This podcast is created, hosted and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at UK Ravens and facebook.com forward slash UK Ravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com. I don't care about bad luck. Happy New Year! Right, I'm going. I'm not even going to edit it. I'm just going to f- upload it direct. Cool, sounds good. So let's see. I was really. I I I, I didn't think I was going to hit that jingle. I had a bit of a.